Hello and welcome to Seven Skills for the Future podcast. My name is Emma Sue and this podcast is all about developing seven skills, adaptability, empathy, critical thinking, integrity, being optimistic, being proactive and resilience. And today I'm delighted to be talking to Viv Groskop. Viv is a comedian, a journalist and an author and she's written this great book called How to Own the Room. Um, And this is targeted at women, about finding your voice, about presenting and being confident. So today I'm going to talk to Viv about adaptability and resilience. And she's also got some great tips if you are about to give a presentation in the near future or go into a meeting that might be challenging for you. Just some great tips on how to own the room. So hi, Viv. Welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you with us today. Hi, Emma Sue. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I think really the first thing I need to do is just to thank you for writing this incredible book, How to Own the Room. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for reading it and for getting it. You know, (laughs) the most important thing for any author is to feel that the people who get their work in their hands actually get it you know sometimes it's difficult to get your book into the hands of the right person and I feel like this book has really been resonating with the people I meant to write it for so that's amazing yes uh well I I I can only say that it's, it's it's been so helpful to me and um it's just a fantastic thing that you're doing and I I want to ask you really um how you came to be writing that book and and why is it such a uh popular topic right now yeah that's a great question I think in some ways the the answer is is huge and there are there are so many reasons why suddenly this whole area of women's empowerment women's inspiration has really exploded but in other ways it's it's almost impossible uh, to explain because I think (laughs) that a lot of women have wanted for a long time to be able to talk about these things you know how to overcome doubt how to overcome anxiety and there have been lots of little steps I would say over the last few decades from you know starting with Jermaine Greer's work or Gloria Steinem and then Mm -hmm. in the modern era things like Lean In um, from Sheryl Sandberg and I think there's been a disconnect that is finally coming to light where we start to acknowledge that we know women have all of these strengths. We know the institutional barriers that they face, but Mm -hmm. what are we actually going to do about it? I think Mm -hmm. that's finally coming to light and we're all finally discussing it. Mm -hmm. And my end of things is looking at the individual and saying, look, I recognize the institutional context. I recognize all the barriers that we face because of things like me too and time's up and the glass. Mm. But what can you as an individual get up today, this morning and change about yourself that's going to help? Yes. Um, and I'm quite interested um, very recently when Michelle Obama was in London, one of the uh, comments that she made in an interview was about the limits of lean in. And she was saying as part of her book tour that, there are only so many ways in which you can lean in and actually Mm. 
you can't always change things and you have to accept that it's going to take a long time for things to change or that sometimes any legislation can change certain things. And I think when it comes to equal pay and things like that, sometimes mm. that, that's an extremely valid reaction. Yes. But for me, I guess the message I'm putting across with how to in the room is, is don't give up on leaning in <laughs> and find <laughs> yeah. ways to inspire yourself, find ways to motivate yourself, find ways to help other women, find ways to step up. Yes. And I'm not saying that that's a magic bullet or suddenly if you speak in a certain way or you sit in a meeting in a certain way or learn how to not be interrupted, that it's going to fix everything. Mm. It's not, but in the short term, the methods that I'm advocating and the women that I'm using as inspiration, I think are real fodder for your morale mm, for getting through mm. this. Yeah. And I think what you're saying about the small steps is really important because actually that's, that's to do with being proactive. That's to do with looking at yourself and by making these very small changes in behavior you actually do start to change not only perhaps the way that you speak and talk about your work and yourself but also the wider issues that you've been mentioning yeah absolutely and I think in some small way it can help you and it can also help other women who are watching you yeah so that's also great advice for anyone who's feeling nervous about changing the way that they present or changing the way they show up in meetings is don't just think about you and what people are going to be thinking about you but think about how you would feel if other women started to do this because mm. you would probably feel pretty inspired by it and it mm. would make you feel that you've got allies yes uh, and I think that can be a really helpful way to think of things Yes. I mean, I think one of the things that struck me most about your fantastic podcast that goes with the book um, is, is something I listened to just before I was about to give a keynote. And it was just the simplest of steps. And one of them was about just caring for your audience. And exactly what you're saying is, is you know, actually, I've, I've, I've been asked to give this keynote, and I've got a duty to my audience to make them feel comfortable. And for the women, perhaps in the audience to be inspired by some of the things that I'm talking about so that was quite that resonated a lot with me as well as some of the very tiny things that you suggest um what some of your your um the people that you've interviewed suggest simple things like changing the, the shoes that you wear or you know looking the part um when, when you're getting up to speak yeah the advice that I'm giving is everything from really tiny things yeah to bigger picture the small things are things like giving yourself time to do a relaxation exercise yes or a big moments like an interview or a speech so you sit down you allow yourself to breathe through your feet it's something that's really mm -hmm. really powerful imagine you've got nostrils in the soles of your feet and you're breathing <laughs> up through those and imagine that your brain is sinking down into your stomach mm. and that really helps you if you can just imagine that brain and stomach breathe mm. through feet sit mm. and do that for two minutes it's incredibly relaxing and it literally takes you out of your head yes so you stop imagining so many things and you just mm -hmm. go very still and quiet and be focused on the feelings in your body and try not to try not to dispel them so I mm -hmm. think often when we're feeling nervous we're thinking how can I get rid of these nerves yes but those breathing exercises actually help you to accept those nerves because they're yes. completely natural and they show that you care yes so there are lots of small things like that yes but there are also the bigger ideas where 
you're thinking about other people in the room. And for me, this is something that actually it's been quite selfish um, for me to think about this sometimes because it's just helped me so much. I don't mm. really care that it's selfish. <laughs> it's that you recognize in any situation that you're going into, you are not the most important person. Everybody else is more important than you are. Mm -hmm. And you think about the fact that people in your, in your audience could be one person in an interview or, or a difficult conversation, or it could be 2000 people, or it could be millions of people. If it's a mm. You think about all the things that they might be going through that they're not able to talk about. Mm -hmm. So they could be going through financial problems. They could be just having received news that um, a relative has got a terrible disease they could be feeling really rough and hung over mm -hmm. there's all kinds of things that your audience is going through that they can't articulate mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all they want is to be able to sit with you in this moment and get through it yes you to yes. All achieve whatever objectives you're there for yes and yes. that's actually incredibly relaxing you know remind yourself that you're part of a community you're part of a tribe it's not all on you <laughs> in that particular yeah. moment Yes, you're there to serve, you know, you're there to serve yes. whatever purpose you're there for. Yeah. So just serve your purpose as well as you can on that day and get out. Yes, yes. Um, and, and that's so helpful, I think, because we do tend to be very um, just sort of naturally kind of self-obsessed. You know, we focus on ourselves. You know, I'm going up there to speak and I'm doing this and I'm, you know, I've got I, me, me, me. And actually... To, to, to turn that on its head and just be have empathy for the audience is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so easy when you when you actually think about this and you focus on it. Mm. It's so e it makes life so much easier. Yeah. yeah. And it makes you realize what you're really there for because you're yes. not really there to show everyone how fabulous you are. Mm. You're mm. really there to help things along whatever mm. the thing is you know the it, the thing might be are you the right person for this job yes or no mm. you know are you offering a contribution to your industry which may or may not may not be helpful mm. you know those things are, are quite easy and open mm -hmm. and reminding yourself that this moment is not the be all and end all it's not necessarily for you to to prove that you're the most excellent person in the universe <laughs> Um, <laughs> I've learned all of this the hard way from stand up, yeah. which I've been, you know, performing for almost 10 years now. Yes. And in the early days of performing that, you feel extremely vulnerable and you feel as if it's all about you mm. and everyone's looking at you and thinking, oh, she's rubbish. Or <laughs> sometimes the, the opposite of that can be really stressful of, oh my God, she's really amazing and this is incredible. <laughs> those things can both be very burden burdensome yeah you learn how to listen to the audience how to be there for them you learn not to judge them if you're just not quite the right person for them on that particular day mm. Mm. and you learn that one performance is just one performance and it's yes. one of hundreds that you're going to be making throughout your life yes and you learn to not put yourself under so much pressure like you might be having an off day Mm, it's mm. my having an off day just mm. do your best and get through it yeah now I, wa I want to just talk a bit about your podcast and some of these incredible women that you've been interviewing and um what sort of um struck you about their stories what are some of the highlights of the interviews that you've um been hosting 
The most um, extraordinary interview I did was with Mary Beard, uh, the classicist. Mm -hmm. And the only way I could get an interview with her, because she's incredibly busy, (laughs) was was to drive her to somewhere that she needed to go. I realized that that was where the window was, was in this drive time. And so I I asked her and she thought this would be quite a fun idea. And it, it you know, killed lots of birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. So we set off on this extraordinary journey. I picked her up from Heathrow Terminal 5 and drove her to Cheltenham where she had um, a lot of speaking engagements. And we were able to have this fantastic conversation that I knew was in there mm-hmm. <laughs> where mm-hmm. she can not only talk about her own experiences of public speaking and of showing up in difficult circumstances, managing difficult faculty meetings, being a young ac- academic and trying to get get your own lecture style so that everybody comes to your lectures and Mm. not to everyone else's and she talks about the fear of having an empty lecture hall you know she still lives with that fear because (laughs) for her she lives or dies by whether her students are compelled by her yes she doesn't really care so much about um you know having the top rating bbc history show for Mm. her the measure of her success that's a bonus and she enjoys it and she wants it to be good but for her the measure of her success is you know monday morning 10 o'clock is lecture hall full Mm. and if Mm. it's not then she's not doing a good enough job so that was really fascinating to me so she combines all of that experience with an incredible awareness of the history of public speaking right? Yes, from historical, from classical times where um, public speaking was regarded as what they called a virtue. And mm-hmm. although I'd studied uh, Latin at, at, at school, I'd completely forgotten that the word virtue includes the word via, V-I-R, mm-hmm. which means man in mm-hmm. Latin. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of public speaking and virtue, which were combined in in classical times to mean the mark of a good person, they can o- that that virtue can only be assigned to a male person. So the whole history of public speaking from ancient times was designed specifically to exclude women, hmm. and that to me was the absolute highlight of all of the interviews that I've done because it grounded the context that we're living in and reminded me what we're up against because it is very difficult for women to speak out and be great speakers and own the space and own the room. And that's not just because of the contemporary difficulties that we face. It's because historically it was wrong for women to speak and Mm -hmm. you gained more virtue and she explained this very brilliantly, you gained more virtue, not only if you were a brilliant public speaker yourself, but if you actively prevented women from speaking. <laughs> that was part of the deal. Right. That was okay. part of the contract. Yeah. I mean, I know we're talking like 2,000 years ago now, so it's not as if we face <laughs> this, but I think these things are all somewhere deep in all of our subconscious and our uncle. Yeah. We've grown, you know, we've, we've lived through this history. And hearing that from her was just completely fascinating. And it was a great reminder of the message I'm always trying to put across that women have only really been doing this work publicly for about 100 years because we've only been educated, literate for that time it's true we, yeah well yeah. when you stop to think about this it's actually you start realizing just how i mean it's shocking it is and and of course it explains why 
why there is why there are all these emotions and feelings and 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 perceptions about women speaking out i mean it really does you know those things are embedded aren't they and they they sort of you know even even though 100 years is not a very long time it's still it's it's embedded in our psyches i think somewhere like as you were saying before yeah absolutely and i think in some ways it's incredibly refreshing and relaxing to think about this because you just think oh yeah of course yeah i need yeah. to set all of that to yeah. one side and yeah. do what i've come here to do i often say to women i'm working with in a corporate context if i'm helping them to prepare a speech or i'm helping them to change something in their working culture that the weight of all this is so great mm. you can't possibly hope to overturn the patriarchy in one speech or even a series of speeches or mm in a three year long initiative to change things at work, you have to adopt a position and you have to manage your morale so that you're in this for the long haul yes. and recognizing the weight of all of this whilst realizing all of that is so big. You can't just overturn it in one go. Yeah. You have to just find a way to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. Um, I mean, when I'm just listening to you, talk about your work um I get the sense that what you're doing now is what you really love and you're passionate about so I want to talk a bit about that you know what 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 drives that and what makes you happy and how do you balance it all with everything um yeah how do you do what you do um well very easily in some ways (laughs) Not very easily in others. I've been freelance for almost 20 years now. So I've always worked for myself and I really value independence and freedom in my work. And I love to be self-motivated. I don't particularly like doing what other people tell me to do. So I've always valued having my own ideas and finding a way to make them work. Mm. That hasn't always been easy and there are lots of downsides to that kind of work. And I think it's what it's led me to realise is that the most important thing in your work is to find the thing that's attuned to your personality and be very honest with yourself about what you can and can't live with. So a lot of the things that are downsides for me, such as, you know, my income can be very precarious and can be very, very up and down. You know, Mm. I can make a lot of money one year and very little money the next year. Um, I can have projects that seem to be really big and exciting and amount to nothing. I can have projects that are teeny tiny and seem completely inconsequential and suddenly they blow up into something really Mm. exciting it's incredibly unpredictable and I know that that would be really difficult for some people to manage but I really thrive on that and I've learned to offset uh, some of the downsides and really manage my morale that was one of the best pieces of advice I ever had Um, when I was a young journalist um, in my early 20s I met Marcel Dargy Smith, who was the editor of Cosmopolitan then, and I'd read the magazine for years as a teenager, and she'd always been the editor, and I revered her. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to have this interview with her, and eventually went on to do some work experience on the magazine when I was about 22. And she said, If you ever go freelance as a writer, my advice to you is manage your morale. 
which Mm -hmm. is about make sure that you're not trapped in a room on your own for days on end pitching to people who are rejecting your ideas make sure that you get into offices with people from time to time make sure that you build a network make sure that you build in the opportunity for downtime make sure that you build in a little nest egg so that you can say no to work that you don't really want to do all of that goes towards managing your morale so I've not always been successful at that and it astounds me sometimes after 20 years of working for myself that I still make mistakes And at the end of realising that I've made a mistake, I'll be thinking, oh, yeah, that's because I didn't manage my morale. (laughs) So you're always learning. Um, In terms of the balance of things, I have three children aged 8, 12 and 15. And I have long been a devotee of something that Davina McCall talks about, which is ditching the guilt. Mm-hmm. I think as parents, and I mean this for men as well as women, because I think that often we forget that men are just as engaged with their children as women are. I don't believe in the idea of women as primary carers. Um, I think that both parents should be equal carers. And I really take my hat off to single parents out there, <laughs> people who don't have any ch- any choice but to be the primary carer. Um, but we're so prone to guilt, men and women towards our children and I think that's a sign that you're a good parent Mm. and I'm careful not to waste time feeling guilty about things that I can't change or I don't want to change Mm. so Mm. if I am feeling guilty about something say I've missed such and such carol concert or such and such sports day because I had a work meeting Mm -hmm. then I'll think do I really feel guilty about this or is that just regular parenting guilt that's going to be a waste of time? (laughs) And if I really feel guilty about something, I will change it. So I will cancel the meeting or I will rearrange my schedule. So I'm spending more with that child because they need me more at that particular time. Yes. I won't waste pointless time on guilt. Mm. So So, it's it's about action, you know, either it's bad enough that you need to act or if you don't need to act, then don't waste your time on it. Yeah. So, what you're saying, some of the things that you're saying here really resonate with three of the skills that are part of the seven that that, that, that are connected with this podcast and with, with my book. But you're talking about resilience, being proactive and optimism. And some of the things that you're describing there are, are characteristic of building resilience. Uh, so, so would you say that you are a resilient person? You certainly come across that way to me. Yeah, I'm definitely a resilient person. That would probably be my most prominent of the seven skills. And I I think resilience is something that a lot of people are born with a natural aptitude towards it. But I also think it's a muscle that can be mm. developed. And, mm. I'm, and I think even if you are a fairly resilient person, your resilience can be really challenged in certain situations and almost disappear. You know, I think it's it, it when you move through life, there are certain situations that regard so much resilience that even the most naturally resilient person will crumble. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Um, I think it's something that you can always work on and you can always develop. And it really helps, I think, to talk to other people who are going through similar things. Mm, mm. So that's what's always helped me as a freelancer is knowing that other writers are having their work rejected. Mm. They've had their proposal turned down by a publisher. Yeah other comedians have been blanked by such and such promoter or they haven't got anywhere with this producer you know it's not just me yes um 
you know, other people are having difficulties marketing their Edinburgh show or, you know, all of these things, they help you to build your resilience because they make you realize, oh, yeah, this is not mm. my problem or even better when you do realize, realize it is your problem and no mm. one else is suffering from this. So you better fix something about yourself and quick. Yes. And these yes. are really helpful because all really life is, I mean, I sound like some kind of weird American coach now, but all, <laughs> uh, all life is really about is what's the next action that you need to take? Mm. You know, mm. Is there an action? And the action might be doing nothing. Yeah. Or the action might be just go chill out and have a day with your friends. <laughs> or the action might be, you know, send 50 emails to your contacts to help yes. with whatever you're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Resilience, uh, shared resilience, I think is really helpful. Mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, I often say to people that the most important thing you can be doing is what's right in front of you. So, yeah. so, you know, if you're in a meeting, that's the most important thing. Be present, you know, listen. If you're with your child, that's the most important thing. You know, if you're if you're taking part in an interview, that's the most important thing. And that if you can do that, actually, it is easy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's a cliche to say it, but I think nowadays our attention is so divided. You know, our attention is mm. under threat in a way that it, never has been historically because of all the digital advances where we're being asked to split our attention constantly between the phone, the email, oh, yes. apps, the social media, um, this demand, that demand, this distraction, and to actually be focused on what's in front of us and connect with people or deal with an, an, an irritating obligation that we don't want to deal with those things are really, really hard. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's something we, well, hopefully we're getting more aware of the need to be present and to be focused. Um, but how do you, how do you personally manage all of that yourself? What do you do? Uh, I think I'm a terrible role model. For this. <laughs> I, I take a certain pride in being 45 and not, um, feeling out of touch with technology so in some ways I allow myself to spend a lot of time on social media mm. and apps and um, keep up with all those things as a, and my excuse is well I don't want to become an old person <laughs> but the truth is I probably spend too much time on all of those things and I'm <laughs> always trying to find ways to to spend less time mm. on a screen and more time thinking and I know from my work as well, it's really interesting with the book, How to Own the Room, that what I love most of all is connecting with the people who've read it or connecting with people who are interested in the ideas in it yes. and being face to face with them and showing them the techniques that are in the book. Yeah. So I love to be in a room of, um, you know, 200 people at a festival and I'm teaching them how to do the breathe through the soles of your feet and yes. let your brain fall into your stomach. Or we're doing, um, I talk about tapping, you know, emotional freedom techniques. So you would say, although I feel nervous, I will perform well. Or although I am stressed, I've got this. Mm. And you just tap and you repeat and repeat and repeat. And that's incredibly relaxing. And again, it encourages you to get out of your head and get into your body. Yeah. And I love to be in a room with people doing that. And I'd much rather do that than mm. be, you know, hunched over my phone, sending yeah. tweets. And yeah. so that's, I think my, one of my 
I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I believe in all round, all round the year resolutions. And one of my constant resolutions is to be a better role model to other people about social media. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. So in the same way, when you prepare a speech or you have a moment where you're going to be in front of a big group of people, you don't think about yourself, think about them and what they need Mm -hmm. with social media. I'm often thinking, well, if other people are looking at me and seeing how much I'm on it, is that really inspiring to them? Is that Mm -hmm. really helpful? Mm -hmm. And I think if more of us could role model responsible helpful behavior around social media then the world would be a better place yeah no it's true and very caught up in it and I mean that completely unjudgmentally because I'm very caught up in it Mm. but it is it's a big challenge and I think sometimes we will look back on this time and and see social media in the same way that we saw cigarettes mm, 50s yes yes yeah it's it's and it's just about balance I mean I, you know, I would never have found you had it not been for social media. So it's there's so many positive things about it, but it's, oh, it's just having that balance, isn't it? Yeah, really? there are so many positives. And one of the messages in How to Own the Room is about being encouraged as an introvert and seeking out brilliant footage from TED Talks, like people like Susan Cain or Amy mm. Cuddy, who are quite introverted, or even actually Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes. Uh, she's, you know beautiful beautiful speaker but quite introverted um and we don't we wouldn't have access to those things if it Mm. wasn't the internet so I think it's a fantastic connector and a fantastic encourager of people it allows you to see the the breadth of of ability and allows you to access you know this one of the reasons that people are obsessed now with with women speaking and encouraging mm. women speakers and having more women on panels and not just because these things are important and the right thing to do, which they are, but because we see how limitless the possibilities are. And yes. we only see that because of the advent of YouTube, Ted talks, Instagram stories. Yes. You know, yes. this is the first time in history, any woman who wants to speak and have her voice heard can do it. Yes. You, you can broadcast on Instagram TV today. And that's oh my. fascinating and terrifying and amazing. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Do you know, I just feel we could, we could keep talking for another couple of hours. There's just lots of things that you've been touching <laughs> on, which which are so resonant. Thank you so much for coming on, on the show. And I know that our listeners, you know, we've got we'll have listeners from from all over the world listening to this. And if any of them are about to go into uh, a speaking situation or a situation where they're feeling nervous what what are maybe three things you could uh, uh you could advise right now for those people that might be listening for anyone who's preparing something that is high stakes it's very easy to give into the nerves so my first tip would be reassure yourself and make it easier for yourself by giving yourself a really, really strong intro and a really strong conclusion. So make sure you know the first three sentences you're going to say and the last three sentences that you're going to say and make sure you know them off heart and you can say them so easily that it doesn't sound as if you've learned them. And the middle bit can be almost completely improvised. (laughs) Second tip is... Aim to say less than you have planned. One of the biggest 
mistakes a lot of speakers make, and I know this from working with people preparing quite complicated speeches, is they try to get into one speech the content of about 10 speeches. You need to say a lot less than you think. So think about your audience and maybe the one key message that you want them to take away. And all you have to do in your speech is just illustrate illustrate that key message and illustrate it as simply and as memorably as you can. The third thing I would say is have fun. And I don't mean you have to dress up in a clown costume and go on laughing and make jokes. Although if you want to do that, then please be my guest. I'd be thrilled. Please take a video and upload it. But (laughs) find a way to make this fun for you. So find something in the speech that is amusing to you or inspiring or that constitutes fun. You know, for some people, fun is Uh, an amazingly complicated graph about asset management. (laughs) That's some people's idea of fun. For another person, it could be some slides that represent things that really inspire you or that are a bit quirky or eccentric. For another person, it could be quoting someone who really inspires you. But find the fun in it. And this is a great lesson for work as well. I think if you keep looking Mm. for fun then it's much easier to keep going and it's much easier when things go wrong. And it's also a fantastic indicator of whether you're not quite in the right place. Mm. So if you're preparing a speech and there's literally nothing about it that is fun for you, that for me rings an alarm bell that maybe you're not quite in the right space. Are you in the right job at the Mm. moment? Is this the right topic for you to be presenting on? Why are you really doing this? Mm. There's Mm. no fun is a massive red flag. So find the fun. And if you can show that in your face to the audience (laughs) and lo and behold, they will find it fun as well. And I'm so amazed that they found your graph about asset management. (laughs) fun. But fun is the most contagious thing for anyone. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And please, can you also tell our listeners where they can find your podcast and where they can find out more about you? Because I know that they're going to be really keen yes. to, to know more. Hello, listeners. <laughs> um, my podcast is on iTunes and Acast. If you go to my Twitter or Instagram, which is at Viv Groskop, V-I-V-G-R-O-S-K-O-P, that's V-I-V-G-R-O-S-K-O-P, then the links for the podcast and the book are on both of those. The book's available on Amazon. It's just sold to Canada, hopefully coming to the US soon, but you can order it from UK Amazon with international delivery. And if you do listen to the podcast or you do check out the book, then please do leave me a review, warts and all, because I love to get people's feedback. So the next thing that I can do can be even better. Thank you. And I can definitely vouch for both podcast and book. Get out there and listen to that podcast and buy that book because they're both absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Viv, for coming onto the show. It's been an honour to have you and to interview you. Um, and I'm just so pleased. And oh, can't thank, thank you, you so enough. Thank you. Go own the room. thank you for listening i hope you've enjoyed the interview with viv as much as i've enjoyed talking to her if you'd like to know more about the seven skills you can buy the book seven skills for the future if you'd like some ideas and tips for how to develop those seven skills then go to the website unimenta.com and look under seven skills and you'll find everything you need there 
Thanks again and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.